This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3RRR FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Dr. Andrew Jamison, curator and senior lecturer in archaeology at the University of Melbourne. He's put together an exhibition at the Ian Potter Gallery of Art, and it's called Syria, Ancient History, Modern Conflict. Uh, we have with us in the studio Dr. Andrew Jamison, who is from the University of Melbourne. He uh, lectures in archaeology and ancient world history, um, and he is really um, a pragmatic or a practical academic in that he actually goes out into the field in a range of countries, but in particular um, Syria, to uncover and unearth um, artefacts of different periods. So thank you, Andrew, for joining us. Thanks, Amy. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, So, Andrew, first of all, um, how did you come to archaeology? What what kind of drove your passion into this field and why did you start in it? Look, it's a very good question. In fact, uh, in my first year at the University of Melbourne, uh, I was very, very fortunate to be invited on an archaeological uh, expedition to Egypt, in fact, to the Western Desert, uh, to the Dakla Oasis. And uh, it was an amazing experience. And it really... um, uh, d- determined my destiny, if you like. I was um, hooked uh, and became um, absolutely uh, committed to a career in archaeology. And for the last 30 years or so, I've been going back and forth to the Middle East, working on archaeological projects in places like Egypt, in Lebanon, and of course, in Syria. And uh, in 1988, I was very, very fortunate to be invited to join Uh, University of Melbourne um, excavation project, a new research project to the Euphrates Valley, to the site of Talakma. And for a decade, for 10 years, I worked um, as part of that project on the salvage excavations at at, at Talakma. And of course, now um, I... I'm employed at the University of Melbourne as a curator and lecturer and have responsibility for looking after the University of Melbourne's antiquities collection, but also the good fortune of uh, teaching and supervising uh, students in archaeology um, at at Melbourne. What a wonderful job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm lucky. I I get up in the morning and I love what I do. Yeah, that's great. And for those who aren't aware of Syria and its geography, where is Talakma in in relation to some of the more well-known cities like Aleppo? Okay, so Talakma and in fact all the University of Melbourne um, excavation projects in Syria are situated in the Euphrates Valley, in the middle and upper Euphrates Valley. Um, So we're in the north, we're in the north of Syria and uh, we're approximately 20 kilometres from the um, Turkish frontier. Okay, so in terms of... um where we're situated then, um, because Syria is surrounded by other countries as well... What are, the, what are the bordering nations of Syria? So to the north, you've got uh, Turkey. Uh, to the west, there is Iraq. In the south, you've got Jordan. And uh, to the east, uh, towards the Mediterranean, you've got uh, Lebanon. Right. But our, um, our closest major city is, of course, Aleppo in the north, mm. which, of course, everyone is... Uh, quite familiar with with what's been happening in Syria recently. Absolutely. Seeing it in the news a lot and, you know, quite significantly destroyed. Tragically, because uh, Damascus and Aleppo, two of the world's most oldest and continuously inhabited cities, um, and Aleppo um, before the conflict was an incredibly well-preserved ancient city. In fact, the souk, the the bazaar, was the best preserved of its its kind anywhere in the world. Um, And we know from 
um, the the reports that uh, substantial parts of the ancient souk, the the old city, have 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 been um, but have been damaged. I mean, it's interesting to just mention that Melbourne universities had this long research association with Syria. And, and in fact, it began in the late 1970s when um, the Middle Eastern Studies Department then um, were looking for a research project, an excavation project. And it was Thomas McClellan, uh, an American uh, um, based at Melbourne who um, began the Al Qatar project. And that uh, was a Bronze Age city, again in the Euphrates Valley, um, and they worked for several seasons um, at the invitation of the um, uh, Syrian Department of Antiquities. At that time, they were starting to construct hydroelectric dams on the rivers, uh, similar to what they were doing in Iraq and in Turkey. Um, and as a result of the, these major construction projects, there was going to be an inundation of uh, many archaeological sites. So these were rescue excavations. Um, so the Al Qatar project uh, uncovered a um, middle and late Bronze Age city, uh, heavily fortified but with domestic houses, um, and yielded some startling discoveries um, inscribed tablets, um, silver hordes, uh, well preserved architecture. Um, and so on. And then um, in the in the 1980s, the, the university went back again at the invitation for uh, salvage and rescue uh, projects and began the Talakma project, which was the one that I was very much involved in. That began in 1988. Um, and we were working at the site called Talakma, ancient Tilbarsip. Interestingly, this site had been excavated by a French expedition in the late 1920s and the early 1930s um, under the auspices of the Louvre, um, directed by a very famous Assyriologist, Thuro uh, Francois Donjon, and they were there specifically looking for inscribed textual material, and they took seven metres off the top of the um, tell, the ancient mound. They didn't find the archive or the tablets that they that they were hoping for, but they did find a very well-preserved uh, mud brick neo-Assyrian palace with uh, frescoes, wall paintings, in the style of the great Assyrian capitals in places like Nimrud and, and, and Nineveh. So when we, when we went back in uh, the late uh, 1980s, uh, we didn't concentrate our excavations on the Acropolis. We worked in the middle and lower city areas. And uh, there we found, just below the surface, very, very well-preserved um, in-situ remains from the Neo-Assyrian period. Predominantly from the seventh century BC, um, elite houses, and within those houses, um, magnificent uh, carved ivories, um, a collection of cuneiform tablets, um, life-size basalt statues, subterranean uh, tombs—quite um, incredible—and um, uh, we, we were we were amazed at the at, 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 at the at the discoveries. And I should also mention the other research project that Melbourne University has been um, involved in, which is a joint research project with ANU, uh, directed by Professor Graham Clark and my colleague, Dr. Heather Jackson, which is a Hellenistic site known as Jebel Harlad. Um, and that project has also produced really interesting, um, important, significant material from the classical period. Um, 
in this area. So it just these these projects really reflect the uh, the richness, the, the the historical archaeological richness of this region. And of course, the Upper Euphrates Valley was an incredibly important um, area historically. Uh, it was a major corridor between southern Mesopotamia in southern Iraq up into Anatolia, uh, southeastern uh, Turkey, and across from Mesopotamia, Upper Mesopotamia, um, towards the uh, eastern Mediterranean. So Syria, of course has always been a crossroads and we find uh, right throughout history evidence of that important strategic role that Syria has played. That's fascinating. So in terms of the project that you were describing that you were involved in, that the French came across and and saw, got these seven metres worth of um, fines, did they take those back with them or did they leave them there? Well, of course, in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, there was um, an opportunity for foreign projects working in places like Syria to receive um, a uh, allocation of the fines. And in fact, if you go to the Louvre today, you will see some of the French discoveries on display in the Louvre Museum. Um, of course, uh, these days, um, projects aren't um, able to bring back uh, material, but in those salvage projects um, of the 1960s, 1970s and 1980s, the Department of Antiquities uh, very generously allowed um, projects like ours to bring back material predominantly pottery uh, as research collections. And uh, if you go to the exhibition at the Potter Museum, uh, you will see some of those items in this in this display. Absolutely. I mean, some of the pottery is really intact. Like there are, I think there's a, an arrangement of four particular pots that are very circular and um, beautiful, like elegant. And it was surprising to me when I saw them that they were so almost perfect. Yes, well, of course, pottery, uh, once fired, is almost indestructible and uh, survives incredibly well in the archaeological record. And of all those projects, Al-Qatar, Talakmar and Jebel Khalid, uh, they produced huge quantities of material, particularly ceramics. And uh, what you see in the exhibition are um, vessels that have been reconstructed from those from those archaeological discoveries. Yes. And what about some of the other um, pieces that are in the exhibition? Because it's not just um, pottery. There's a huge range of tools and implements that people had back then. And I guess it tells a story as to what life was like for those people in particular periods that this exhibition covers. Could you share with us some of um, the highlights for you as to what's included? Of course. So... The, the priority with the exhibition was to really highlight and um, put the spotlight on uh, the archaeological findings of the University of Melbourne um, through these research projects. So the material comes from um, El-Qatar, Talakmar and, and, and particularly Jebel Khalid. Uh, so there are archaeological fragments, as you've mentioned, ceramics, but there are also ancient metals, uh, bronze and iron. And of course, much of this mate- material is uh, material from everyday life, domestic uh, context. So they're the, the the things that were being used in these houses, whether from the Bronze Age, Iron Age or Hellenistic period uh, th- th- that you see. But the other priority with the exhibition was also to try and raise awareness about the situation in Syria. And we've done this through uh, the site of Palmyra. And there is a spectacular life-size uh, bust 
um, funerary stela from Palmyra uh, of a woman from the second century CE or AD, uh, the Roman period, um, and it carries a Syriac inscription and it mentions her name, Hagar, uh, and she's very um, delicately and elaborately carved and, and you would have seen that uh, she has an amazing um, uh, drapery and um, uh, j- jewellery yeah. and uh, reflecting her, her, her status um, and she's carved of marble and that object is on loan uh, from the Australian War Memorial. Um, but also in the exhibition relating to Palmyra is a wonderful folio, a, a very large uh, folio of um, uh, illustrations from 1753 uh, mm-hmm. from an um, expedition of antiquarians that visited Palmyra, of course Palmyra being one of the most iconic historical sites in Syria uh, and it has um, countless illustrations of the of the ruins, the triumphal arch, the tetrapylon, the temples, the funerary towers. Um, and so we can see that there has been a sort of, you know, a, a, a long uh, and a sustained interest in places like Palmyra that, of course, were incredibly important uh, caravan cities during the Roman period. And that was made famous by uh, the ruler of Palmyra, of course, Queen Zenobia, um, a very important historical figure. So let's talk a bit about that. Um about this queen in particular, because I do like women leading things and I'm really um, intrigued as to her involvement in Palmyra. Could you share that with us? So she um, assumed uh, the, the the rule of Palmyra after her uh, husband uh, passed away and she um, had ambitions to um, expand Palmyra's uh, sphere of influence um, and I think concerned uh Rome, and uh, there's uh, a, a number of accounts of what happened to Zenobia. Some reports have her being dragged back to Rome in chains. Um, others, uh, other, other, other reports uh, talk about her escaping uh, into the desert. But nevertheless, she was obviously a very um, powerful, uh, capable, and ambitious leader, uh, and of course intimately linked with this uh, this side of, of, of Palmyra. And of course, uh, with what's happened recently, Palmyra of course, has been, you know, a headline front page news because of the destruction of some of the monuments, the Triumphal Arch, the Temple of Baal and Belshaman um, and uh, other other uh, uh, ruins, including the, 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 the museum at Palmyra, which has been looted tragically. So, well, let's talk about that because IFs uh, or Daesh um, has been really the, the key reason as to why Palmyra has been looted and destroyed. Um, how much ha- damage have they actually done to this site? Uh, I think the damage is significant. Um, Palmyra was an incredibly well-preserved um, uh, city. It's not just, you know, uh, one one aspect. It's a complete Roman, Ro- Roman city. Um, and, of course, the destruction at Palmyra has been deliberate and targeted. And uh, IS or ISIS have uh, used the destruction of Palmyra as a form of propaganda, knowing that it will enrage uh, people uh, that... Because of its significance, it's one of uh, Syria's um, World Heritage listed uh, monuments and, uh, of course, it's guaranteed them um, a publicity. So it's been used as a tool of war Um, and, of course, tragically, as you would know, the director, the 81-year-old director of the Palmyra Museum, Dr Khalid al-Assad, was uh, um, publicly beheaded on the 18th of August in 2015 for not revealing to those um, 
uh, belligerence, the whereabouts of the important, significant, valuable items that had been taken off display in the Palmyra's museum and hidden for safe safekeeping. Well, that's a huge sacrifice, a noble sacrifice. Well, as a curator and as someone who has responsibility for an antiquities collection, we just see ourselves as being the gatekeepers. Mm. Um, I have objects in my collection that date back thousands of years and these these items are precious and um, in some cases very delicate and, and, and fragile. And all we want to do is try and preserve and protect this cultural heritage. And you have here uh, with Harlard someone who had devoted his life to uh, the study, the uh, excavation, the interpretation and the conservation of one of Syria's most important cultural heritage sites who, uh, you know, lost his life trying to defend and, and, and protect that monument. Well, we have seen some of, as you say, well, these excavations and some of these important objects going out of the country for safekeeping. And in Melbourne we and Australia more broadly, we do have a great deal of these and some of these are in the exhibition. Um, in terms of how you approach archaeology on these sites and and the dig, I guess there are that those elements in the exhibition as well because we see the implements that are used, um, and it's really fascinating to see the kind of soil charts and um, the different cameras that are being used and the notes that are being taken on the ground. Um, just how much of those uh, implements are still used in modern day archaeological digs, um, and I guess what a little bit of the back around them. So one of the reasons we put that material into this exhibition is because we didn't have um, a lot of objects, but I know from um, conversations, people are always interested in the process of archaeology. And of course, we still use today things like the brush and the trowel that have always been used. Um, But I think the exhibition highlights that much of the research, much of the recover, recovery, much of the extraction of Melbourne University's work in Syria happened in a pre-digital era, which was um, only became very apparent when we started putting this display together. And uh, I think that's uh, th- th- that's interesting to sort of uh, put it in, into that historical context and, and see it. So we have the notebooks and the um, various tools and equipments uh, that that... that, that that we use, but of course today, uh, with mobile phones, with digital technology, uh, and archaeology has always been very quick to embrace these 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 devices. Um, we can we can contrast it uh, a, 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 and see the development. But you will have also noticed in the exhibition there's a short clip about the reconstruction of the triumphal arch from Palmyra, uh, which was created by the Institute of Digital Technology in London um, and erected in Trafalgar Square. And they were able to bring that arch back using the uh, Million Images database, which uh, people have sent in their photographs of uh, Palmyra and they've been able to stitch together all of these images and information and create a a very accurate reconstruction. And we wanted to um, talk a little bit about that in the exhibition about you know, the use of modern technology in being able to restore or uh, reconstruct things that had been 
been damaged. And it's a, it's an area that I talk a lot about with my students. You, you mentioned um, having objects here in Australia and there's a lot of discussion about, you know, is that appropriate? Who has access? Who determines where objects go? Um, and you'll have also noticed in the exhibition the use of the tablets, those um, uh, screens that have images from our excavations, the most important images that went to the National Museum in Aleppo. And of course, that museum has also sustained uh, damage and looting as a result of the conflict. And of course, the current whereabouts of some of those objects is unknown. So the use of those electronic devices is a symbolic way of bringing them into the exhibition, but also highlighting that, in fact, um, in some cases, there may only be a digital record of some of that material because of the tragedy that's um, that's happening in Syria. It's a huge tragedy. Um, in terms of your uh, I guess, lifelong um, <laughs> interest in Syria, at, but also ancient Egypt and other areas. What um, what draws you to, and not talking about archaeology in partic- as, as such, but really what draws you to the objects and the, I guess, the human story behind it? Is that something that, that powers your passion um, for, for archaeology? And are there some kind of stories that particularly inspired you in your, in your searches? Um, a great question. And in, and in fact, uh, every day at the university in, in my teaching, I use objects. Um, I use object-based learning in every class. In fact, I was at, giving a lecture yesterday and I had an object in, in the lecture and in the tutorials this week, the students will be using objects. Objects are incredibly powerful transmitters of information. And even if you don't know a lot about the object or the culture, um, they provide a direct link with that past. And I am very fortunate in my job that I'm able to facilitate hands-on learning with um, the material in our collection at the university because it was very much created as a teaching and research collection. And I know that uh, this is a, a, a very um, valuable, um, fortunate opportunity for our students uh, that we're able to provide this. And we have now dedicated object-based learning laboratories in our new Arts West building at the University of Melbourne. It's a very nice building, by the way. <laughs> but I have students coming up to me on the tram five, seven years later saying, you won't remember me, but I remember the class where we had those objects and and um, it, it's a very, very powerful tool for, 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 teach, for teaching and learning. But I must say that um, I, I, I deal all the time with material culture. That's what archaeologists do. They dig up the, the rubbish, the refuse, the things that people leave behind. And even the single fragmentary pottery shirt has the potential to link us to that past and um, is, is, is embedded with, with, with information, which is what I find so interesting. But as a young, uh, as a very young person, of course, I was always engaged by great archaeological discoveries. And on Thursday at two o'clock, I will give the, the, a, a lecture to my first year students in ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia, which is, of course, on Tutankhamun, one of the greatest archaeological discoveries ever made, November 1922, Howard Carter peers through the small hole in KV62 in the Valley of the Kings with his patron, Lord Carnarvon, standing over his shoulder and says, what do you see? And he utters the words, gold, the glint of gold everywhere. Um, And of course, these are um, really powerful. And I think they have a a, a very strong um, uh, ability to engage us in a a way unlike other things. So I think that's the appeal of archaeology for me. Mm, The mystery as well and putting the pieces together literally and also metaphorically. Absolutely. And just finally, um, Andrew, 
In terms of um, what you were hoping, I guess, visitors to get from this exhibition and to really understand about Syria and its significance as a place um, of civilization, of great uh, advanced civilization across the ages, what um, what really, what story are you hoping to tell with this exhibition and what do you hope people will take away from it? So the exhibition was really to... Um acknowledge Melbourne University's research contribution to the Upper Euphrates Valley, but to also draw attention to the current conflict and raise awareness about the destruction of cultural heritage. When I went, when I first went to Syria in 1988, I encountered an incredibly um, uh, warm, hospitable country. The Syrians are, are unbelievably hospitable. And as you mentioned, it's an incredibly ancient, rich, but sophisticated land. Uh, this is where, you know, writing was invented. This is part of, you know, the cradle of civil so I'm hoping that people, visitors to the exhibition, will uh, form a greater understanding of the importance, the historical importance of uh, Syria and also um, be mindful that, you know, uh, we need to find a solution to this problem to try and prevent and uh, limit the, d- the destruction of cultural heritage in such an important country. And you are doing that um, via an international project, I believe. Yes. So um, as a response to a meeting in Basel, uh, the International Congress on the Archaeology of the Ancient Near East, a committee was formed called Shirin. And Shirin is made up of all foreign archaeologists that were working in Syria before um, April 2011, uh, when, the, when the conflict really shut down any archaeological research. And so through the expertise of those um, international archaeologists, we are trying to uh, produce um, damage assessment reports of all the archaeological sites that exist in Syria uh, to make information available on, on those places of archaeological and historical significance and also utilise that experience and expertise in anticipation of when the phase for reconstruction uh, and, and, and restoration uh, will, will, will begin. Well, let's hope that's really soon um, that we see an end to this conflict for the Syrian people, but also for these amazing objects and the history of their country. I hope so. And Amy, if anyone is interested, uh, the exhibition's on until the 27th of August. Uh, there's plenty of time. Uh, it's at the Ian Potter Museum of Art at the University of Melbourne. Um, or important to, to mention, it's the Potter at Melbourne University, not the Potter at Federation Square. Yes. And that we're also um, having a symposium um, from the 11th to the 13th of August, uh, where we will pre- be presenting papers on the ancient history and modern conflict uh, in Syria. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm going to have to put that in my diary. Um, and in terms of um, where the Ian Potter is situated, it's at the end of Swanson Street. So it's on the Parkville main campus, but it's very accessible via tram, isn't it? That's right. If you take any tram up uh, Swanson Street and get off at the University Melbourne Superstop, uh, it's on the left-hand side. Um, it's got uh, Christine McLaughlin's uh, cultural rubble hanging off the facade. Uh, you, you can't miss it. And the Classics and Archaeology Gallery is on uh, Level 1, uh, which is where you'll find the exhibition Syria, Ancient History, Modern Conflict. Amazing. Thank you, Andrew, for sharing your amazing insight and passion for this topic. It's just absolutely fantastic to have you. You're very welcome. And you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. I'm Amy Mullins, the host of this show on 3RRR. You can listen in every Tuesday in Melbourne at 9am till 12pm. And if you are elsewhere, you can listen online through the RRR website. Hope to see you again next time.